Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Uh, I want to introduce to you, most of you know him, but uh, Andy Summers. Um, I first uh, met him actually at Charles Wesco's um, ordination council. And so he was pastoring at that time at Granger, in Granger, Indiana, at Granger Baptist Church. And then the following summer, we took a teen group up there from the church here, my wife and I did, uh, and just helped out with their church plant. And since then, God has moved them to Maryland and then out to Colorado. And, uh, and Brother Andy uh, is a man who's in the ministry. Uh, he, he preaches, he's, pa- uh, he's pastored, but the Lord has used him also mightily um, in helping nonprofit organizations and churches uh, with finances and so, uh, uh, so on. And so he's been a blessing to us. You might have seen him here earlier in the year, and uh, he's here to help us out with some things uh, this week. And so he's going to bring a, a lesson to us, but it's going to be on a Christmas, uh, a Christmas topic, and I think it's going to really encourage you tonight. And so, Brother Andy, you come. He has uh, his wife, Mickey, and uh, he has two children, and they're back in uh, Colorado. All right. Steve. All right, did I get the mic on, guys? All right, we're good to go. So they'll adjust it. Now, uh, Ben back here told me that I have to be very loud and uh, keep his attention tonight. So I'm just kidding. He said to make sure that I uh, pound the pulpit, jump up and down, and he'll be excited. But uh, what we're going to do tonight, though, is we're going to keep your attention because we're going to talk about something that is more of an apologetic type of thing. So if I tell you I'm going to speak on apologetics, Do you think I'm going to apologize? No. Apologetics is the idea of looking at the Bible and really saying, how do we prove that the Bible is true? Now, how many of you would say, prove that your name is Andy? What would be enough proof for me to show you that my name was Andy? Driver's license, passport, birth certificate, but that doesn't have my picture on it, right? So, you know, maybe I was born in Hawaii, maybe I wasn't. I was actually born in Elkhart, Indiana. So a long time ago, so I was born and raised in northern Indiana, and Pastor Josiah had shared with you how we met, which is uh, through, uh, brother, through uh, brother Charles Wesco and his ordination. And after he was killed in Cameroon, a short time later, then I became involved with Wounded Spirits Ministries, helping them doing their finance and accounting. And uh, actually, Brother Doug Carragher, the president, is going to be here for the missions conference, and that is... When is that this next year? In September. So he's scheduled to be here. So I do all the the behind-the-scenes stuff. I have been a youth pastor at two churches. I have been an administrative pastor at a church that had a school and uh, along with the church, doing all the business finances. I've planted a church. And then also then I have been really working a lot more. This is God has given us opportunity. I'm currently on staff part-time with our church in Colorado doing their books and accounting. And then I have uh, four other churches and Wounded Spirits that I do accounting for, and I do IT as well. So I'm kind of a numbers geek, you might say, between IT and accounting. However, 
I do have to say that there's somebody here that has to be one of my favorite people only because he gets to share my name and initial. So there's another Andy S. here tonight, so I met him earlier, so now we have something in common. And uh, while I like to find patterns in things, there's some interesting things when you look at Scripture that you can relate to, okay? So I'm going to sit here and, and I can remember his name because it's easy, Andy S., right? I'm Andy Summers, Andy S. But, uh, you know, I can't remember uh, Siobhan, Sh- uh, Shiloh, um, Sabrina, her name, right? How do you remember things in Scripture? You go along and you have to, you find things and you're like, okay, how do you know her name's really Siobhan? I mean, Sabrina, right? Her mom and dad told you, right? How do you know that something is true? How do you know that something is true? You examine it, you work with it, and you kind of begin to put a weight on it, okay? You consider the source, okay? So if, if Sabrina came up and told you, Mr. Summers has a $100 bill in his wallet. How many of you would believe him? Believe her, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I got a couple of people. All right, so why would you? She, tell, she generally tells the truth, unless she's talking to her brother. Maybe she, okay, she generally tells the truth, right? You consider the source. I'm not going to tell you if I have a $100 bill in my wallet. You'll have to ask me later, and you, you can put it there for me. We'll say that, okay, so... Um, but the idea is you look at the source and you analyze it. Now, it's interesting. You think about statistics. We're going to look at a little bit of statistics tonight. But we're going to start with Matthew 5, 17 and 18 that says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, and a jot and tittle are really small, so think of them kind of like, you know, commas, periods, you know, punctuations. And, and you're like, well, what does it matter? Well, listen, you know, um, we're having mom for dinner. Where you put the comma means an awful lot. Mom's coming to dinner is what we mean. And depending where you put the comma means a lot. you got to really understand that it's very important and affects the meaning, right? And uh, so it's, I love it when my kids say stuff, and I sit there and I'm like, Where'd you put the comma in that sentence? Because it might mean two different things, and I want to understand you, right? (laughs) So they say things, and you're like, oh, wait, you can't hear the punctuation. I want to know what you meant by it. Well, the meaning is going to remain, and nothing is going to pass away. Now, we try to look at things and say, what is the probability? We're going to look tonight at some uh, prophecies about Jesus Christ. Okay, we like to think about probability and statistics. Some of you don't like it, but I'm going to share with you some things, okay? The odds of a male between age 18 and 49 being afraid of a spider how old are you, uh, is uh, 1 in 83 people of males, okay? Random fact, right? 1 in 83, they're afraid of spiders. The odds of an adult having to visit the ER because they were injured by a pogo stick is one in 150,300. I don't know who came up with these statistics, but they're somewhat amusing. The odds being killed by falling out of bed are one in two million, okay? All right, the odds, uh, I love this. You've lost a remote. Logitech, the computer accessory manufacturer, and many other things, tells us that there's a 50% chance that you'll find your lost remote stuck in the sofa cushions. However, there's a 4% chance that it's in the refrigerator or freezer, and 2% chance that you took it outside and left it somewhere. 
Now, the odds of becoming a billionaire are like one in seven million, six million, somewhere in that area. And the odds of becoming a president of the United States are one in about 10 million people. So those are kind of some interesting statistics. So when you think about this, uh, there's some studies that people did to say, what is the probability of a prophecy coming through, true? Okay. So I did a study using, there's a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner. He lived from 1888 to 1980. And he wrote a book in the middle of the last century. He wrote a book called Science Speaks. Now, I don't agree with all of his beliefs, but this just really astounded me. When he looked and he, he saw these probabilities, he was a professor at a college, and he took students and said, let's try to come up with the probability that this prophecy came through. And they wanted to put a number on it, you know, like the uh, I'm afraid of spiders thing, one in 83 men, right? So they looked and they analyzed it from a mathematical standpoint, and they wanted to come up with probabilities. They took 11 Old Testament prophecies, the idea of them being set ahead of time, and from a human perspective, those 11 prophecies were, all, for those all 11 to come true, it was one and 5.76 times 10 to the 59. 59 zeros after that. That's a big number, isn't it? You think about the probability of just 11 in the Old Testament coming true. It's this huge number with 59 zeros in it. And the reality is, is that they did come true. And keep in mind that these statistics are based on odds of man writing those 11 uh, you know, prophecies in advance and them coming true. So Peter Stoner, this mathematician, he began to take a look then at prophecies about Christ as well, and they began to make some statistical analysis to say, okay, for him to be born in Bethlehem, as an example, we're going to look at that in a minute, what would it look like for him, for somebody that was Jewish to be born in Bethlehem at that time? And they kind of analyzed it. But you can make a prediction, right? Do you have a choice of where you're going to be born? Somebody once said, asked the question, well, if I know that it's something that's prophesied about me, can I affect that it comes true or not? Well, maybe some you can, but listen, where you're born is not one of them, right? You don't get to choose where you're going to be born. It, you just are born where you're born, and that's not your choice. Maybe your mom's choice, but not yours. And so what is the probability of that happening to you? And we're going to look at that in a minute. However, there's people that make predictions like, you know, you can't predict, you don't predict before you're born where you're going to be born, but things about the future. And uh, one, some of my favorite predictions that people make are like in, eight, in 1830, Dr. Lardner said this about rail travel. He said, rail travel at high speeds is not possible because passengers unable to breathe would die of asphyxiation. Wouldn't he be amazed by some of the trains we have today? In 1878, Oxford professor Erasmus Wilson said, when the Paris exhibit of 1878 closes, electric lights will close with it and will be no more heard of. Look up, right? His prediction was very, very wrong. Now, in 1903, the president of Michigan Savings Bank said, the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is a novelty, a fad, advising Henry Ford's lawyer not to invest in the Ford Motor Company. I think he made a bad prediction. I don't know about you, but I think he was wrong. Here's one of my favorites. In 1932, Albert Einstein said, there is not a slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. It would mean that the atom uh, would have to be shattered at will. But yet we have nuclear power plants today and nuclear bombs, right? 
1936, the New York Times stated this, a rocket will never be able to leave Earth's atmosphere, I quote. Tell Elon Musk that, right? I mean, you know, tell, tell NASA that, right? They left Earth's atmosphere. And in 1964, the United Artist executives were interviewing people for a movie called The Best Man, and they rejected Ronald Reagan and stated, Reagan doesn't have that presidential look. <laughs> I mean, you know, you look and you can make predictions. We like to predict things that will happen in the future, but they're only speculations based on the past. You know, things change in the blink of an eye. In fact, James 4, 4 says, But our life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. And with such uncertainty of the future, we desire, we long for something that is sure, something that is a fact about the future that we can hold on to. In spite of all the false predictions, there is one place we can go to to turn to for predictions about the future that will always be true. That is the word of God. Today I'm going to focus on the prophecies of Messiah for about the next 20 minutes. We're going to jump through a number of them, and you've got a handout, I hope, and you've got something to write with to fill in these blanks, because these numbers and the statistics as we look at this are overwhelming on this. Does anybody want to guess, or do you already have the answer, how many prophecies about the Messiah are recorded in Scripture? What do you think? How many prophecies? Over 350, you're blank there, specific prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And most of the prophecies were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. We don't have time, of course, today to go through all 350. I don't talk that fast. But we do have the opportunity to look at a few of them. So we're going to look at the first one. Number one was he was born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though thou be little among uh, thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that uh, is to be a ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. This was written about 700 years, that's your next blank, before Jesus was born. 700 years in advance. Now, how many, one in how many were born in Bethlehem at the time of Christ? Well, this guy, Peter Stoner, and his students estimated the average population of Bethlehem during that time period, that it was you know, a certain amount, and how many people were alive on the earth at that time. It was about 7,150 out of 2 billion estimated. So they came up with a number that for this to be happen, it'd be one in 280,000 people. So one out of every 280,000 at that time was born in the city of Bethlehem. So that's your first statistic. And that seems kind of small, but, you know, you can maybe attain that, that somebody was born in Bethlehem, although it was 700 years in advance. The second one, a forerunner was, was foretold, a forerunner, that's number two, to prepare the way. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. It was written 400 years before it happened, before Jesus was born. Now, they took this, they analyzed it, and, you know, it's more common to have somebody coming and pronouncing a king, right? So they said, we're going to put one in a thousand. So that happens more commonly, or one in a thousand. Now, number three, the third prophecy is the idea of entering Jerusalem 
riding on a donkey, okay? That's Zechariah 9.9, and that was written about 500 years before Jesus was born. So they're going to ride in on a donkey 500 years earlier. Well, that's even, excuse me, more common than having somebody come before you is the idea of somebody that's a king riding in on a donkey. It was a common thing. So we're only put, he looked at that and he said, we're only going to put one in a hundred on that one, okay? Now, how do you come up with, what are we at three here? How do we come up one out of how many? We have to take the 280,000, multiply it times 1,000 and times 100. So that means you have to add five zeros to the 280. So now you have nine zeros after the 28. We've only gotten three there. So you're at 28, is that million? One in 28 million? We're only three in, we'll keep going. Number four, betrayed by a friend, resulting in being wounded in his hand. Zechariah 3.16, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? And he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friend. It was written 500 years before. So this is a number four is written 500 years before. He's wounded in his hands. Christ was betrayed by whom? Judas, one of his own disciples, causing him to be put to death. The wounds being, of course, made in his hand. And they said, you know, crucifixion at that time, the Romans were doing a lot of it. So they put a statistic of one in a thousand to be betrayed by a friend resulting in death with wounds in the hand because that was very plausible, one in a thousand. Number five, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's a pretty specific amount, okay? It'd be kind of like guessing how much cash is in my wallet. Maybe 30 was more of a round number, a little more popular then that they might have used it, but not necessarily exactly that amount. So you look at that in Zechariah 11:12 12 and says, and I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Now, 500 years before he was born, this was written, and they gave a number of 1 in 10,000. Not highly likely, but not completely improbable. So number 5, 30 pieces of silver, 500 years, 1 in 10,000. So we were at what, 28 million? Add another four zeros. Okay, we're up in the trillions now, one in trillions. Now we go to number six. The silver will be returned. It will be cast down in the house of the Lord and then go to the potter. Zechariah eleven thirteen. That was 500 years before Jesus was born. Of course, Judas in remorse returned the 30 pieces of silver. And what did they do with it? They bought the potter's field, right? So they bought that. So number six, as you're looking at here, the potter, and the fact that it actually went to, to the potter, man, that's pretty improbable that you would actually predict that 500 years in advance that the money would be returned. Man, people don't return money very often, do they? Right? I mean, even in honesty, people don't always return money. It's a lot of integrity to do that. But here he had this remorse. He returns the money, and it goes to the potter, one in 100,000, okay? One in 100,000. Now, number seven, he made no defense of himself. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shear is dumb, and so he opened not his mouth. This is written 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years. Now, one man... And how many was oppressed and afflicted, put on trial and said nothing? 
I said, you know, maybe that might be a little more common. They put one in a thousand might actually say, you know what, I'm not going to say anything. You know, I'm not going to incriminate myself any further. But in Jesus' case, opening his mouth wouldn't have been an incrimination because he wasn't guilty. So when you look at this, he made no defense of himself, one in a thousand. Number eight, and we're going to end with number eight, and then we're going to talk about all of just these eight out of 350 together, what this means for you and I. Number eight is that he was crucified. Psalm 22:16 says, For dogs have compassed me, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And there's other passages that support the different prophecies too, but these are the ones I picked. This was actually written a thousand years before Jesus was born. A thousand years. The Jews are still looking for the Messiah, so our question for this prophecy will be one in how many men from the time of David, let's say, have been crucified. Statistically, you analyze it, you look at that, and they said one in 10,000, okay? And we got a lot of zeros coming on here, right? You're multiplying, you're multiplying, you're multiplying. And we get to the end of these eight, and we add all these together, and you come up, to come up with the number, you're going to take one in 2.8 times 10 to the fifth, 10 to the third, 10 to the second, 10 to the fifth, 10 to the third, 10 to the fourth, and eventually you get one in 2.8 times 10 to the 28th. That's a lot of zeros. Now, I said to my son when I was doing a similar study, I said, I have no idea what number that is. So he got out his phone, he Googled it and said, oh, it's a quadruple, blah, 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 blah. Like, they have a name for something with 28 zeros after it now, I guess. Whatever it is, forget million, billion, trillion, they've named a whole bunch out there. But let me ask you this question when you think about this. When you think about this number, how on earth can you even imagine something with that? What if you had that much money? People are, hmm, what would I do? I don't even know if that much money exists in the world, right? But let's try to imagine this. What is the chance that any man might have lived from the time of these prophecies down to the present time and fulfilled just eight of these prophecies? Okay? That's what we're talking about here tonight. A conservative estimate would be 88 billion people have lived during this time period. Maybe you could say 90. But to simplify the math, let's say 10 to the 11th for the population. We can answer the question by dividing 10 to the 28th by 10 to the 11th, which gives us the chance of 1 in 10 to the 17th. We have, like, you think about how many people are alive today, how many people have lived that long, 88 billion people. It's like the probability doesn't even exist. And we're only talking about eight prophecies of Christ. So to visualize the number of 1 in 10 to the 28th, let's assume that you could produce that many silver dollars. Okay? I don't have a silver dollar with me today, but you're familiar with what that silver dollar looks like. Let's say that we took those silver dollars, we produced them, we, entire, we covered the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. And then we took Andy here and blindfolded him and set him loose because there was one, dollar, one of those silver dollars that we marked. We set him loose in Texas, two feet deep, silver dollars, and the first one he picks up is going to be the right one that we marked. Doesn't that seem impossible? 
but yet that is the probability of Christ being the Messiah based on only 8 of 350 of the prophecies. But let's say we add 8 more to it. Let's say there's 16 prophecies. So we were uh, at you know, 10 to the 28th. Now we're at 10 to the 45th with 16 prophecies based on uh, Peter Stoner's estimates. To understand this number, let's assume that we can make the number of silver dollars and make one great big ball of 10 to the 45. This big ball, if we could do so, would extend 30 times as far as the earth is from the sun. Okay, 30 times, it's this big huge ball. Now this time again, we're gonna blindfold Andy and send him out there and say, pick the dollar bill, that, the silver dollar that we marked on the first try. Now we're up to 16. Let's say we jump to 48 of the 350 prophecies. We would come up with a number that is one in 10 to the 157th power. Look at that number. Just on 48 of the 350, if we give them probability based on human understanding of the future. Now there's some things you can predict, right? You look at the sidewalk and one of the slabs is up a little and you're sitting there in your chair watching. You're like, somebody's gonna trip on that. Sure enough, somebody comes along, they trip and you laugh and then you help them up after you laugh, you know? But you can see something obvious there, right? And you can see that it's coming. Or we look at the past and we predict the future, okay? We look at what has already happened in the past and we predict the future. What are those predictions based on? They are purely based on knowledge of the past, not on knowledge of the future. But what if I could tell you, I can give you knowledge of the future? I don't have my Bible, I brought it electronically tonight. So I'm gonna hold this up as if it's my printed Bible, but it's my electronic Bible and say, it's in the Word of God. God has knowledge of the future, and it's incredible to think about the fact that God has knowledge of the future, where we have knowledge of the past, and he tells us what's going to happen. Let me give you a visualization of this number, okay? So 1 in 10 to the 157th. Let's try to consider this number. The silver dollar is entirely too large to use for this illustration. So we're going to go to something a little bit smaller. No, not the dime. Not the penny, quarter, dime, nickel, you know, make your way down, nickel, dime, whatever, dime is the smallest, right? We're going to go all the way down to the electron. How small is electrons? How small are electrons? Man, they are so small. You obviously, you can't see them with your own eye. In fact, it takes 2.5 times 10 to the 15th to make one inch. Now, let's say we take this quantity of electrons and we're going to make a great big ball of them. Now, light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second, and space is supposed to extend in all directions 6 billion light years. If we were to make a large ball of those electrons, those really minute particles, we could make this huge electron ball that would extend 6 billion light years in all directions, six times 10 to the 28 times to get to our one in 10 to the 157th power. So it's not just that you could take electrons and fill the entire existing known all of universes that exist. You could do it a whole bunch of times. Then I'm going to 
take and mark one electron and give you a, a really powerful microscope and you're going to go and you're going to pick the first time the one that we marked. Isn't that pretty high probability that Jesus was the Messiah? Can you imagine what it would be like to say he wasn't the Messiah? Is that not overwhelming to you to think that the probability of Jesus being the Messiah on only 48 of the 350-some prophecies is so enormous that it would take greater faith to contradict that than to accept it as truth? Because probability speaking wise, it's unfathomable to think of anything else other than the fact that he is really truly the Messiah on only 48 prophecies. And it's so easy to look at even extra, extra biblical things that talk about the Messiah and reinforce a lot of the prophecies that even if you don't go to the 350, let's just stick with 50 or so that we find, what would it take for somebody to say that he's the Messiah? It's so factual. Now, I am against doing lottery and betting and things like that, but I sit here and I think of probability and statistics. They always put that out there. You know, this big jackpot, and it's one in however million people can win this jackpot. And people have enough faith to buy a lottery ticket that they might think they're going to win the lottery. And it's so little chance of winning it, but yet they aren't willing to put their faith in Christ when it's such a great overwhelming statistic that he's really the Messiah. And it's so converse in our thinking. So as you consider this and you think about this example, let me make it simple case for the skeptics. With 350 prophecies about the Messiah, let us assume an unreasonable rate of one in four for just 300 of the prophecies. The resulting number would still be only if you gave everyone one out of four, not one out of a thousand, not one out of ten thousand, one in four of just 300, round it down from 350. The resulting number would still be even larger than the number we came up with on the 48 prophecies. Isn't that unbelievable? It's so infathomable to think anything other than that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Any man who rejects Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, is rejecting a proven fact that is absolutely proven more than any other fact in the world. It is absolutely more proven, let me say it like it is on the paper, I'm sorry, I'm rewording it so you can get the blanks. If you're, you're rejecting a fact proven more absolutely, Proven absolutely more. There we go. I'll get it right. Absolutely more than any other fact in the world. You can't do anything other than accept the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. All of this proves that 2 Timothy 2, 3, 16, and 17, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The reality is that the Word of God is exactly that. The Bible is the Word of God. Not only does God have present uh, knowledge of the past, not only does God have knowledge of the present, but God has knowledge of the future. How else could all 350 prophecies been written hundreds and hundreds of years in advance and every single one of them been true except that it was from God? 
If it was of man, it would be wrong. Just think of the things I read to you earlier at the beginning, right? Some of these statistics that we talked about were just kind of icebreakers, but then the, the idea that the electric light is a fad that's going to fade. Their predictions were wrong. How many predictions are wrong that we make, but yet the predictions from the Bible are true? They are correct every single time. So I like to get to the end and I ask the question, not where's my last page, but so what? So what do I do with this? It's a nice story you told with probability and statistics. So what? So what do I do with this? You see, the reality is this is where you might use the expression, the rubber meets the road. This is where you take and make application of it. If the word of God is this true, the application of it is, are you in fact taking it and living your life by the truth? If the word of God is this true, there's no other conclusion we can come to except that it is absolute truth, then what are you doing with it? You see, some people today are still depending on themselves to get to heaven and, and doing works and, and relationships or parents. They went to church. But John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. How? But by me. You see, you need to have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior because he alone is the one who can make the payment and forgive you of your sins, who has made the payment. And he, he can give you eternal life. And perhaps some of you have, in fact, been saved but yet you haven't accepted the reality of the Word of God being such absolute, absolute truth and made that application in your life. How do you view the Word of God? Do you just kind of take it and, you know, hey, that was nice? Or do you take it and you make it as the absolute truth? What do you do when you're confronted with a dilemma between two things that appear to contradict? The Word of God says one thing, but my friends say something else. Or the news says something else. It's usually contrary to the Word of God, right? Somebody, something somewhere is contrary to the Word of God. Which one are you going to choose? Well, our natural tendency isn't always to do that. But the Word of God says, study to show thyself approved workmen. Right? Rightly dividing the Word of God. Rightly dividing. You need to study it, do it put the weight of the word of God that is absolutely true in your life and as we celebrate Christmas how do you view Christ do you recognize that he is the son of God he is the Messiah because just looking at the probability of these prophecies is overwhelmingly true it's unfathomable if I told you something was that sure that was about to happen in your life. If I told you that it was 1 in 10 to the 157th probability that this building was going to get hit in five minutes by a tornado, what would you do? Stay here. Find the shelter, right? This building's probably going to survive much more than the others because it's built that way, right? But if I told you the roof was going to fall down and that was your probability, you'd be getting under the pews, you'd be getting your way out, right? If you knew something was that true, here's the bottom line. Look at Hebrews 11. It says all these people are there. And it says, by faith, Noah, what did he do? 
build an ark. What did he have? He had action. He did something. You look through Hebrews 11, name somebody else. By faith, Abraham, what did he do? Sojourn. You go down that list in Hebrews 11, and you can see one after the other. You see faith leads to action. If you have faith in the Word of God, you accept this as truth, what are you going to do with it? What will you do with it today? What will you do with our Messiah at Christmas? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word, to see these prophecies about the Messiah. And Lord, thank you for the fact that it's truth that we can rely on. Lord, we thank you that it's your truth that sets us free and that your word is truth. Lord, help us to be those who apply it, not hearers only, but doers of your word, that we might go and be a light in the community and that others might come to know you because of our lives. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Josiah. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.